Well, hello, everybody. Whether you are whether you're here at our Legacy campus or you're watching online, really, really glad that you're here. And today we are starting a new series called No Offense. We just saw No Offense, None Taken. In a world like ours, where there's a lot of offense given and a lot of offense taken, how can we navigate relationships in a way where we can kind of not... It's not that there aren't issues to think about, but how do we do that in a way where we kind of chill out a little bit on the on the being easily offended part? And even when there are hurts and issues to work through those things in a way in our key relationships, because relationships are hard in a way that can build connection, um, not disconnection uh, when we deal with that. And so that's what this series is about. And today we're talking about a choice that love makes and therefore, that's our ethic. If you're a Jesus follower, as we're going to see, even if you're not, it's a really good idea that love is not easily offended. And we're going to see that passage later. It's not it could be translated not easily irritated, not easily angered, not easily offended. But love makes a choice to be not easily offended, just like the, the song we just heard. Not easily offended. Remember that? And, and I'm singing because last week at Easter, you guys kind of crushed my dreams a little bit on singing. Uh, when I said I could, you know, if I said I could sing like Dane uh, or who, one of these worship people that sang, you would say, dream on. Dream on yeah. And uh, so I don't think that's bad. Right. I'll do it one more time and, and clap if you think it's good. Not easily offended. OK, OK, I'll work. I got time. I'll work on it. But what does it mean to be not easily offended? And what does it look like to do that choice? And what about things that should offend? You know, all that. So so when, that, when it says not easily offended. That implies a scale, right? That, that some people are easily offended and some people are not easily offended, right? And so there's a, there's a possibility of any of that. So I want you to think about that. Think about, think about it on a scale of like one to ten. So one is somebody who's like unoffendable. Like they're just unoffendable. You're not ever going to offend them. They're, and ten is somebody who's offended all the time. You breathe wrong. Seems like they're offended. Like they're just... They're very, very easily offended. And, and think about where you are on a scale of 1 to 10. Now, if you're, if you're bothered by the question and you're kind of agitated right now, you're a 10. So I'm just, I'm just trying to make it easy for you. And, uh, um, and, and if you're bold, what you could do later, not now, is ask somebody that you know pretty well what they think you are on a scale of 1 to 10. If you're smart and somebody asks you that, don't answer. Just say, oh, I think you're great. I don't know what, what number you think, whatever it is, you know. But, uh, um, but you'll find out pretty quickly, right, the people who are easily offended. And, and if and some of you are really low on that, like, you know, that you're not easily offended. And if you're in that category, you're like the favorite person in your friendship circle because you're so easy to be around. And people love to be around you and they'll share things with you and they'll feel very free with you. And have a more open, full relationship with you. Somebody who is on the other side of the scale, we still love them, but they can be really difficult. Somebody who's easily offended, where you feel like you have to walk on eggshells otherwise, you know, all the time and say everything just right. And you're trying to assess their mood and see how they're reacting and see what. And that's kind of exhausting. And so when you think about who you want to be, I think we'd all say, yeah, I'd, I'd want to be the not easily offended person. I may not be that person at this point, but I, I would love to be that. And I do think, as I was assessing my own self, um, I, I tended to be, when I was looking at this, a little bit overly generous on this one. Thinking I'm 
more easily or less easily offended than I probably really am. And, and you'll see that reflected today. And I think it's easy to do that. But what does it look like if, to be le- not so easily offended? And it's not only a good choice that will make you happier and make relationships easier, um, but it's also a godly choice. And here's just a few, a few verses to give context for that. Uh, from the Bible, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't amplify the sins of another person against you. They, it, love has a way of covering. Proverbs 12, 16, Solomon said, Fools have short fuses and explode all too quickly. The prudent quietly shrug off insults. They're relatively unoffendable. Proverbs 18, 11, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory... To overlook an offense. It's to one's glory to be relatively unoffendable. But what does that really mean? Because, you know, should we not be offended by anything? Should we never stand up for ourselves? Should we never have boundaries? Should we never? Those are great tensions to keep in mind. But what would it look like to be relatively unoffendable? And, and even, if, even if we find ourselves, as we go through this process today, um, there's some things that are like, you know, this is an issue I need to deal with. How would we do that in a way that could not be personal and have a lot of heat to it, but actually be a positive part of taking a relationship forward, at least set it up for that. So the way we're going to do that is I'm just, we're going to build a biblical filter primarily around one key passage in the Bible. First Corinthians 13, uh, the four to eight, the little love chapter. And we're going to build a three-stage filter. And the point of that is, next time you get offended, which might be two minutes from now in this talk, or it might be on the way home, or it might be in the lobby, or if you're at home, you know, who knows, but um, that something's going to happen. And, and you're going to feel yourself wanting to react and feel yourself looking, why did they say that? Why did they do that? Why didn't they say that? Why didn't they do that? Why did they post that? Why did, you know, whatever. But you'll be like, mm, you know, you're going to start doing that. And when you do... Just put it through the filter. And so to, to set up the context for the filter is our passage, 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love passage. And some of you, if, if you've been to weddings, you know these verses. Probably if you've been to a lot of weddings, because it's pretty common that the, this, these, this will be read at a wedding. It's a really great one to do that. I know it was read at our wedding. And somebody in, in the church that we were in at the time in Alabama even cross-stitched uh, the, these verses on a thing that's hanging up on the wall in our bedroom. And I've seen people with, with this on pillows. And you hear these verses, the love, love is this, love is that. And it feels kind of sweet. It's like, oh, that's so sweet. Like a little puppy. It's like, oh, that's... But when you actually look at what love does, love is difficult and radical and not natural. God will help us do it, but it's not natural. And it is... If you want to live a bold life, then... Choose love. And you'll see what I mean as we start looking. Just, I'm just going to read the passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered or irritated or offended. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now that's bold and that's powerful. And let's build a little filter. And the first stage of the filter, I'm going to draw from the the end of those verses. And that is, am I believing the best? 
Because love does that. When it says love believes all things, hopes all things, trusts all things, another way to say that is love believes the best. And it's easy not to. So when, we, when something happens that we don't understand, it, it's really easy when we don't understand why they would do that or not do that or say that or not say that to assign motives that aren't necessarily the best motives. You know, why would they do that? Why, would, why did they say that? Why, why didn't they show up? Why didn't they? And, and we start developing a story in our mind of why. Well, they don't care about anybody else or they're just that or they're just that. And it may have nothing to do, probably has nothing to do with reality because we don't know people's motives. But it's easy to assign motives. And then that becomes our reality. That story, which is actually not a real story, becomes our reality and affects the way we see that person. And love doesn't do that. Love believes the best. It assigns the best of motives, not the worst of motives. Paul talks about this in a, in a passage in 1 Corinthians where he's, he's talking to these friends. I mean, he started this church. These were people he knew. And they were not happy with him. And they were critical of him. And, uh, and they were assigning motives to him that weren't fair, that weren't true, that didn't correspond with reality. And here's the way Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring, out, he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each, will give to each one uh, whatever praise is due. What Paul's saying is, when it comes to assigning motives, people's private motives, that we can't, Paul said, I don't even trust myself to evaluate my own motives. Because it's easy to be self-deceived. He's like, my conscience is clear. I think I'm good, but maybe I'm not. God knows, but I don't know. And so, and that's why he says, therefore, I don't put a lot of stock in what you think, my, what you think, because... I don't even put stock in what I think about my own motives. So when we assign negative motives or bad motives to people, it, uh, it just is, is going to spiral down instead of spiraling things up. And uh, it's one of, the, uh, one of the realities in the largest marriage study in history, which is still going on by the Gottman Institute. It's like 50 years in the making so far where they've looked at thousands and thousands of married couples. And they've divided the married couples into two groups, uh, disasters and masters. So people who master marriage and people who are disasters at marriage. Now, some of the disasters, they don't, you know, they get divorced, right? They fall apart. But some of the disasters don't. They just stay together. It's just it's a disaster. It's not a healthy relationship. And then you have really good relationships. So they've looked at these thousands of couples to say, what, what is the difference? Like, at, at the core... What would, what, what do the masters do that the disasters don't? And what they found over 50 years, and it's still corroborating, still saying the same thing, is that it's really two things in really good relationships. It's the presence of kindness and generosity. And that's the difference. You could think, oh, it's that, 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 that. It's not. It's the presence of kindness and generosity. By generosity, it's having an overly gracious perspective and view of the other person. So much so, it's fun reading some of those, that they had trouble. They find that, that really close marriages 
um, people have trouble talking about the weaknesses of their spouse because they're just wired not to think that way. They're overly generous as they think about their other, as they think about the other person. And that generosity extends to believing the best when something gets a little bit confusing. And you don't know why they would do that or not or whatever. These couples just assign the best motives. And they may have a conversation and talk about it, but until they can, they believe the best in the other person. Let me give a scenario um, to just make this really practical. So the scenario is an anniversary dinner. And 20, 20th anniversary of this married couple. Since we just used, talked about marriage, I'll use a married couple. But this works whether you're married or not married, friends or whatever you are. So 20th anniversary, and the guy's really excited about it. And he even plans ahead. And he makes the reservations. He gets there early. He's got flowers on the table. He wants this to be a really special night. He's been looking forward to it. He chooses a really great restaurant like the mansion on Turtle Creek or whatever. And so you can picture the scene, right? So he's there early waiting for her to come. They've come from two different places. Uh, she came from home. He came from somewhere else. And so he's waiting there. And then the time comes, 7 o'clock. Then it's 7.05. And then it's 7.10. 7.15, 7.20, so when she comes, she's late. So in that 20 minutes, what was going on in him, he starts to assign motives. And I think, oh, you know, she, she doesn't, she, she's, she just thinks about herself all the time. She doesn't care how this affects me. I thought, yeah, I was so excited about this. Obviously, she's not that excited about our relationship. I feel so uncared for, whatever, right? All those things are going in his mind, all these motives, okay? So by the time she gets there, he's pretty upset. In the meantime, in that 20 minutes, here's what's actually been happening. When she was leaving the house, their dog, which was the dog he decided to buy, um, threw up all over their new living room rug. And it was an expensive rug, so she had to spend about 10 minutes cleaning up dog vomit from their rug. And then she gets in the car and goes... And uh, she's had it in her mind all the time to, because she wants it to be a special evening too, to stop at the store to buy a gift, something that is extravagant, but it's her 20th anniversary. She, she just wants him to know how much she loves him. She wants him to feel special. So she goes to buy this gift. There's more people in the store than she anticipated. It takes a little bit longer to buy it. She puts it in her purse because it's not big, it's small. And then she walks into the restaurant and when she does, all excited about her gift and about the evening, what does she see on the other side of the table? Disdain. Right? As he, doesn't even, he doesn't stand up. He doesn't really say anything except something like, well, it's about time. And there's this tension, which makes her think, what a jerk. I mean, I've been trying to get here, that stupid dog he bought, and I have this gift, and I'm not even going to give him the gift. Because he doesn't deserve it. And he's such a jerk. He probably wouldn't like it anyway. And, uh, and so I'm not going to do that. Well, how's that evening going to go? Right? Not great. But think about how it could go. If you just believe the best. Like as he's waiting, he's thinking, man, I know she was excited about this too. Um, I, I know she wouldn't want me to feel this way. I have no idea what's going on. I, I'm going to pray for her just that God will help her. Because she's probably stressed out being late. And, um, and, you know, God, and help me too, because I'm kind of stressed out about it. And, just, and But she believed the best until you can find, you know. And then 
it's perfectly good to have the conversation. Like when she comes and you say hi and all that kind of stuff, to say, hey, I just got to say, um, the late thing is, is kind of bothering me. And I'm starting to make up stories in my head about why. And that's not fair. And it's probably not true. And so, and, and, and honestly, it makes me feel pretty devalued. Makes me feel like you don't, you're not as excited as I am. And, but I don't know. Can we just talk about it? And by the way, if you've been in Ignite, that's BTF, belief. Anybody been in Ignite? If not, go, go to Ignite when you see it on there. But that's a great conversation to have, right? When you say, so can we just talk about that? And then she could say, oh, I'm so sorry, the dog, and, and here's this gift, and I wanted it to be in it. And, and the whole evening would be amazing, right? But it starts spiraling down the minute we start assigning bad motives and not believing the best. And when stuff happens, and it's confusing, and it's a little bit hurtful, and we're tempted to be offended and be react, just the first stage of the filter is, am I believing the best? I mean, right now, as I'm going down this trail, and I'm, I can feel my blood pressure going up, or I'm more agitated, or whatever, am I believing the best? Because that's what love does, and it's a choice. Love chooses to believe the best. Now, a lot of things will end right there. Like, that stage of the filter will clear it out. Like the one we just said. But sometimes, some, you know, other stuff gets through, right? So here's the next stage of the filter, and it's about self. Stage two is, am I being self-seeking? Or, possibly, am I choosing humility, which is taking self out of the equation and lifting the other person up? We just read, love is not self-seeking. That's the, really the essence of love. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. And love says, I'm going to set aside myself for the sake of the other. And therefore, I'm not going to think about my own interests, my own needs. My, I'm going to elevate the other. Now, if you do that, it's going to be kind of hard to be offended. But it's hard to do that because in our sin nature, we're self-focused. And, and we're very attuned to our own needs, our own desires, our own wants, our own everything. Like, we just, we, like, like, and one example of that is a group photo. You know, when you look at a group photo, right? So here's, here's a group photo from last week at the Legacy Campus. These are the people who are involved in the Easter service from last week. So we do a group photo every year, uh, Easter and Christmas. So this is our Easter one this year. So for me, when I look at the picture, who am I going to look at first? Me, right? And you would do that too. So don't look at me like that. Like you, you would do the same thing. So when I look for me, guess what? Oh, that's, that's a little premature. But anyway, yeah, when you look for me, it's, it's not there. I, I wasn't there. Um, so I did decide to have him fix it to put me there. But the reason I wasn't there is because I was down on the floor um, talking to people, ministering to them for Jesus and stuff. And, you know, and, and they couldn't wait five minutes to call me up there to, you know, be in the picture. I mean, I had 15 or 25 minutes of the service was me, but I'm not in the picture. And uh, until I had him just say, hey, put me in the picture, you know, so now they did it in an obnoxious way, but still, it's, I'm at least there. Um, and honestly, that doesn't, I, I'm really okay with that one. But my, what I'm illustrating, though, is just all of us kind of have an eye out for ourselves. It's just natural. It's just what we do. And, and that's why it's easily, easy to be offended when we feel slighted or not considered or somebody else gets their way or somebody else gets the credit or somebody else gets attention. 
it's, it's easy to be offended, but if we take self out of the picture, it's actually pretty hard to be offended. Like, here's the way Paul talks about it in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So he's saying, look, that love plays a different game than we naturally play in our sin nature, which is, I want to win. Love says, no, I want you to win. I'll lose, you win. In fact, I, I, win when you, when I, I win when I lose, and you win. When we focus on the needs of the other person, the desires of the other person, the, it's not that I'm worried about myself. I want to make sure that you, your preference, your needs, your whatever is given. And you can imagine, right? It'd be kind of hard to be offended if that's kind of where you're coming from. Now, in a really healthy, healthy relationship, when it really works, friendship, church relationship, marriage, whatever, when two people are relating this way, where they're both trying to outserve each other, they're both trying to outlove each other, they're both trying to meet the needs of the other, not so much themselves, well, it works great, right? Because both people's needs get met. They're just not self-focused. They're other-focused, and it's like amazing. That's a good thing to strive for. But what about relationships that are more one-sided? Like where you're giving, 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 and they seem to be fine, taking, taking, taking. And you think, well, then what? And Paul talks about that also, just this other focus ethic. In a passage, it's really kind of shocking. And it's, it's also, in, we've been in Corinthians a lot, it's also in First, in first Corinthians, where Paul's talking to the Christians who were angry at each other, offended by each other so much that they are taking each other to court. Lawsuits. And Paul, first of all, is like, why are you going to secular courts? Like, you know, can't we just deal with that in the church? Like, what are you doing? But then even the, he, he goes beyond that. And this is kind of shocking. He says, the very fact that you even have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? What he's saying is if our ethic is I'm going to lift up the other person above myself, humility says I'm going to take self out of the equation and lift the other person up. If they, if they win, if they get one over on me or whatever, you know what? Cool. I just won. He says, like, even if you're cheated, even if you're taken advantage of, if you have an other focused thing, it's like, hey, I know they thought they just won. They thought they just pulled one over on me. But actually, they didn't. It's my opportunity to love them. My opportunity to serve them. Now, I know there's some caveats in that and you can, but it is what it is. And imagine if we had such an other focused thing that we kind of took self out of the equation. Like, here's one example. Um, as I was just thinking about my own history, my own life. And this was uh, years ago when I was uh, uh, not the lead pastor, but another kind of pastor on our staff. And um, Gene Gatz is right here. Uh, he was our, our founding pastor. Um, and so he was the lead pastor then. And, uh, and we had moved offices. We just moved into some new offices, not here at our legacy campus down at Richardson. And the person who was assigning offices, um, you know, assigned, I mean, that's a tough job. And she assigned, you know, me an office. And the office that she assigned me was an interior office with no windows. And there were, and that bothered me because there were people that were lower on the org chart that had way better offices with windows. And is that petty? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm not going to be offended. That's petty. But that, still, it went, that's what went on. 
So I decided to go talk to the person who assigned them. And I'd already assigned some motives of why she would do that. Totally unfair. Has nothing to do with her. She did great. But I went to talk to her. Let her know how I felt. And then I went back to my office. And Christians talk about, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, God convicting us of sin and stupidity and all that. And it was one of those moments where I sat down. It was like God speaking into my heart saying, okay, let me get this right. So what you want is to take away a better office from somebody else so that you can have it. And that would make you happy. And I was like, no, that's gross. That's not what I want. So then I had to go back to the person and say, look, I was stupid. I'm really sorry. Right? But when we elevate self, it's easy to get offended. And in fact, I think that's a, you know, sometimes if, if you're offended a lot, it may be because you're around a bunch of jerks. It really may be. But it may be that you're actually pretty self-focused. And you can decide, you can discern, but, um, but it's, it's kind of a yellow flag, right? Because one of the reasons love is not easily offended is it takes self out of the equation. So we've already got two stages of the filter. Am I believing the best? Or in the second one, am I making this about me? Is this really about the lack of humility? Is it about my ego? Is it about something like that that's going on? And if so, I need to clear that out. Well, even then, there's going to be things that go through that stage of the filter, too, which gets to the third stage. And the, and the third stage deals with things that are kind of legitimate. I mean, it's maybe a leg, legitimate hurt or confusion or thing that might be offensive. And the, and the stage is, is simply this. Can I just let this go? Like, is this something that I can just let go? It may be something that kind of really does bother me or whatever. And, and maybe there's some content that, you know, to it, there's some legitimacy to it being, you know, potentially offensive, but is it, is this even something I need to be offended by? Maybe I just let this one go. I mean, we already saw in first Corinthians 13, it says love is patient. And Solomon talked about that, how wisdom is patient and it's a glory to overlook an offense that part of patience is overlooking offenses, giving people a lot of rope, not just reacting quickly and being offended quickly, but just kind of chilling out and giving some rope to it. First uh, Corinthians 13 just told us there's no rec- the love doesn't keep record of wrongs. I've been in counseling situations. I don't really do counseling anymore, but I did. And occasionally it just sneaks up on me. But I've been in, in situations where couples, especially, you know, one of them have a big list of things that's wrong with the other person. And they bring out that list. I'm like, here we go, you know. And... Uh, and the truth is, love just doesn't, doesn't do that. Um, Colossians 3.13, Paul says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. What he's saying is, hey, what if we treated people the way God treats us? Because the way he treats us is he gets it that we're not perfect and we're going to say things sometimes wrong. And we're going to do some things that aren't quite right. And and imagine if God wasn't so forgiving and so gracious. Imagine if we got in trouble for every bad thought and every bad thing we did. Like none of us would be sitting here. We'd all be little piles of ashes, you know, right? And so why don't we extend that same kind of grace to other people? In Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 8. I love this. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget the good works you have shown to his people. So God is so gracious that he will not forget the good things that you do. 
But there's also some, but he will be so gracious. There are some things he will forget. And here's Hebrews eight. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So God kind of does the opposite of what we naturally do, because what we naturally do when we get bothered by something is that we forget all the good that they've done, the totality of the relationship as we fixate on the thing that is bothering us. We fixate on the sin. We fixate on the offense. We fixate on what we're upset about. What he says here is God does the opposite. He remembers, never forgets the good that we do in the totality of our life. He is kind of forgetful about our sin, which is, again, good thing for us, right? And imagine if we did the same thing with the other. Then even if somebody does something that's uncharacteristic, you're like, you know what? Yeah, that does bother me. Maybe I need to talk about that with them. But the truth is, in the totality of the relationship, they're, they're a good person. And, and, and this was an anomaly. And, and maybe we do need to work through it. But it helps us to be way more gracious. Psalm 103. God does not treat us according as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, which is infinity, he's removed our transgressions from us. Meaning God doesn't, he doesn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated because he's gracious. And so a great question to ask is, you know what? Do I just seem to be gracious? Like maybe I just caught him on a bad day. You know, we, we talked about that with our leaders here during the pandemic when uh, things were anxious and people got grumpy and people were a little bit raw in some of the things that they would say to each other in small groups or say to leaders or say to whatever to just remind ourselves, hey, we, we have the opportunity right now to love people at their worst. They're not always going to be like this, but right now we have the opportunity to love them at their worst. And so there's a lot of things we're just going to be gracious about. There's a lot of things we're just going to let go. I mean, there's some fouls that we'll call and we won't let everything go, but we can let a lot go because that's what God does for us. So that's the third stage. Now, if you think about this, if you next time something happens, somebody says something, posts something, does something or doesn't do something or doesn't say something or whatever it is. That's kind of confusing or disappointing and you feel yourself, you know, ah, put it through the filter. Am I believing the best? Is this, is this really just about me? Am I elevating myself? And honestly, is this something I can just let go? Is this something I can just be gracious about? And when you do that, a couple of possibilities exist. One is, as you put it through the filter... And you get all the way through this filter, a lot of things will just get filtered out. Like things that you would have been offended by really just go away. Um, I, I experienced that last week. Um, I had the opportunity to be with somebody that I hadn't seen in a while. And I was, I've been offended, and it's on me. I've been offended for a while. I've been holding on to an offense with this person for a while. And I haven't seen her since, you know, for a while, for months. And, I, and then I knew she was going to be there and it was a small event. So I knew I'd have to interact and I didn't want to. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to talk to her. Um, you guys think, man, my pastor's petty. I know. But anyway, so I went and I, so I'm driving there and I'm thinking, OK, I'm going. I don't, really don't like what she did. I took it really personally and it just bothers me and I still don't like it. But and um, 
And I'm going to see this person. I was like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let her know by my look what she's done, right? And she already is going to feel guilty and all that anyway. I'm not going to make it easier on her. I'm, I'm going to let her know, yeah, you better feel guilty. Okay. Again, I know I'm discrediting myself here for a lot of people. But um, so as you can imagine, that didn't last the whole drive if you're prayerful about it. And I knew I was, I was doing this talk, right? I was preparing this stupid talk that was going to ruin my plan because it was going to be kind of fun to do that, you know, kind of give the look of, I know, I know, you know, and I thought, you know, be, and now I was kind of looking forward to going all of a sudden, right? Until this thing ruined it. So I, I thought about, okay, am I believing the best? No, I'm not. I've assigned motives without talking. I have no idea what our motives are. I, I feel like I know, and I've been locked in for a while, and that's what I've been so offended. And the truth is, that probably has nothing to do with reality. And love would say, you know what, don't do that. Believe the best. And when I did that and started thinking about what good motives might be, I was like, well, that's actually what she did might make a little sense. And then the second thing is this about me being self-seeking. Am I making this about me and elevating me? And that's what's bothering me. And if you are guessing, you're kind of playing along with it. Yes, that certainly is true. I, I, I took something personally I really shouldn't have. I made it about me, and it's really not about me. And in fact, when I think about the decision she made, for her, it really is better. It's not better for me, but it really is better for her. And then it kind of shifted. I'm like, you know what, God, I should delight in that. It's better for her. That's a good thing. And then I didn't have to go to stage three because it was already gone. Should I just let this one go? And uh, because I was already, already let it go because it got filtered out. And it was a much different evening as a result of that. And just have a, a free relationship and full. And it wasn't with all that offense and all that stuff. And um, totally different deal. Now, so that's one thing is it can get filtered out. But another possibility is it gets through the filter. And there's still something there. And that's a good thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe there is something to work through. There is a hurt to walk through. There is something confusing to talk about. And we're going to talk about in another week in this series when you have those conversations Hey, when you did this or didn't do this or whatever, I just want you to know that is really confusing me or it really hurt me. And we need to talk through that. That's a good thing. Like that's, that can help if you do it the right way. And that's what we'll talk about is how to do it the right way that leads to greater connection rather than great disconnection. So we don't have to avoid those kind of conversations. We can actually have those conversations because sometimes that's the most loving thing to do is to have those conversations and to and to have it. But when you, te- when you go through this filter, what you'll find is, even when you have that conversation, that all of a sudden it's not so personal anymore. And you don't have this whole narrative in your mind about that's terrible, about like you've cleared that out. Um, you go into it much more open, much less heated. And you can just have a loving conversation, speak the truth and love, Ephesians, that you can just have this conversation without all the stuff that makes those conversations so... Uh, difficult. So I encourage us all to practice this week. Uh, maybe even this weekend, something happens. Just go through the filter. You know, am I believing the best? Is, am I making this about me? Is it self-seeking? 
Is this something I can just let go? And if not, I mean, there may be, you may get down, okay, God, I, I, maybe we do need to have a conversation. Help me do that well and come in a couple of weeks and you'll, that's what we'll be talking about. And I want to go to God with this stuff because I think a lot of us are holding on to things that we've been offended by, just like I was with this person. And that was impacting me in ways that not good. And it certainly impacted our relationship because I was avoiding this person that, and, and again, like we talk about the totality of relationship and the totality of our relationship, she's amazing. And, and, and God remembers, remember the good that we do. He remembers the totality of relationship. I was focused on that one thing and saying, I don't even want a relationship, which is not cool. So what it would look like with whatever you have to take it through the filter, think of an offense, and we're going to bring it to God right now. And, and, and ask him also to help us be like him. Because he is, if you're going to put him on the scale, he's a one. Um, he is more gracious than we can imagine. And some of you think God's a ten. Because that's what you've been exposed to. That God is offended all the time and he hates you and he's angry at you. And he looks at you with disdain and he doesn't. God is the most gracious, loving being on the planet. He hates sin. Sin is terrible. It does terrible things to us. If he doesn't hate you not offended by you. He loves you. He wants you to move on from all that stuff and, and come toward him. And so let's just bow our heads together. And I'm going to invite you to just talk to God. That's what prayer is. Just talk to God in your own words. He loves you. He's your father. He doesn't care if you say fancy words or not. Just, just talk to him in your heart. And maybe there's an offense that you're holding on to. And just ask him to help you work through that. And maybe even just real quick in your mind, just say, oh, wait a minute. Am I believing the best? Am I making this about me too much? Am I elevating myself? Am I, is this something I can let go? And it may just go away right there or maybe not. And say, okay, God, I, I, I want to work through this in a healthy way, in a loving way. And help me do that. But would you remove the anger and the haughtiness that I might be feeling right now even thinking about that and for those of you who think about God and would love to have a relationship with him and you're hoping that if you just keep being good and keep coming to church and keep doing whatever that he'll be okay with you and he won't be mad at you anymore don't wait He's your father. He loves you. Just picture him with his arms open wide. Just saying, come on. I know your faults. I, I know. I don't. That's not the way I relate to you. Father, thank you that you are more gracious than we can imagine. Help us to be that with each other and to work through real hurts too. In a way that we can build better connection with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.